This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, we seem to be here and there. Um, it's hard to tell where you, <coughs> where you all are, of course. Um, looking into this uh, mode of um, relationship, it's quite, um, quite an interesting um, effort. And um, it, it seems to me that uh, it gives us the chance to um, see each other as various elements in the universe sort of reflecting where all these uh, jewels scattered around through uh, Indra's net, <clears throat> reflecting from here and there, wherever we live. <clears throat> so I'm, uh, and, and somehow it's easier for me too to sense that, um, that I am a, a sort of an expression of the universe as well, rather than just me. Consciousness. So it's kind of amusing to sense this sort of um, more cosmic uh, flow uh, uh, coming in from you and through your pictures and so on, and then uh, coming out as well. Just. Um, quite uh, refreshing in a way, a, a sort of fresh way of sensing the, um, the interrelationships of all things and the, the way the uh, universe is uh, creating itself or interacting with itself and so on. So I, I think we have the uh, Zoom world to thank for making that a little more um, experienceable in some sense. <clears throat> well, as many of you know, this uh, talk is coming. Thank you. That's great. This talk at the end of our um, calligraphy uh, workshop here at Chikoji on Zoom. <clears throat> so again, everybody was here and there, and um, a few of us were here in the Zendo, <clears throat> and uh, the um, scroll that we uh, used as our, our reference is this one here, which was written by Kobun's uh, brother, Kabun. <clears throat> um, that call that from is called uh, Jokoji. <clears throat> this is uh, Joko. And this Joe means um, to decide or to um, determine or to, to, to be well established. It has a kind of solidity about it in, in its meaning. And the ko is uh, light. The same ko is in jikoji. So jikoji and jikoji uh, is what would you say, uh, solidified or <laughs> established. Uh, so um, you can, we have these two versions of the same. Uh, <clears throat> uh, this is way of uh, appreciating um, that famous quote, uh, the, the media is the message. <clears throat> it, it, you might find that these, uh, these words, uh, whatever they mean, they may mean something definite to you, or, and then tomorrow or in a year, uh, they might mean a little. <clears throat> but at any rate, when you look at these um, characters, 
you are seeing the um, the medium for the message, <clears throat> and the these two media are right left. This is the way that uh, you you write the characters if you're writing them in the um, clearest way, the sort of what's called regular script, and uh, all of the strokes are very clear. <clears throat> But it has a feeling of being uh, also very correct and upright and um, yeah, clarity, no, no chance of misinterpretation and so on. <clears throat> and then the one on the right is, is written more cursively. And so it, um, uh, it expresses a, perhaps a, a lighter, a spirit or a personal spirit. So, so these are two rather different messages, actually, even though the words say the same thing. So it's very clear that the medium here is the message. <clears throat> as far as the, uh, the uh, meaning goes, uh, the top character means uh, radiance. It has the sun and moon in it, so it means really bright, as bright as it can be. <clears throat> it can be more of a sense of inner radiance as well, but anyway, it's very clearly strong, strong light. <clears throat> Next is the moon, <clears throat> and you can see the moon there is uh, maybe a little more moon-like than this one. The, this moon looks awfully square, but <clears throat> that's the way it's come to be. And then after moon, we have uh, the character for pure. It's a, it's a rather interesting character. The left side, the three dots um, mean uh, water, and the, the top means uh, green or sprouting growth. And the, the bottom uh, originally, meant was not the moon, but it was a, a place where cinnabar uh, could be refined. <clears throat> so it's where red was produced or color. But um, this, this part of this character by itself now uh, means uh, either green or blue. So we could say green color something like that. <clears throat> so what is green or blue uh, when it's water? It's, um, we like to think of it as pure. <clears throat> so this, this is pure or purity. And then we have um, a very interesting character which, um, which means uh, wind. Uh, it has a lot of energy inside of it. <clears throat> but um, it, it's, uh, it's expressive of a lot of uh, movement. So here you see the more cursive flow of wind. Then uh, we have this character means together. <clears throat> Originally, this was two hands <clears throat> coming together and uh, with 20, two tens at the top. So it meant uh, 20 hands uh, cooperating. And you can see how simplified um, this, this flows. Then we have number one, pretty legible here. And then the last character is uh, house or family. And uh, this is a Chinese house because uh, inside is a pig and the pig is really important. You can't really have a, a, a lasting family or a, a meaningful house if you don't have a pig inside to nourish and to keep things clean. <clears throat> so uh, you can see that this house is, um, in this cursive form, is, is written. Um, it's a little harder to read for, for the beginner. <clears throat> this uh, this cursive side um, illustrates the uh, the sense of flow that 
these characters have, even when you write these characters uh, very clearly in this form, the brush itself needs to flow from point to point, from stroke to stroke. So it's these are not individual strokes that are just built up to make the character. It's this um, this whole writing is still a flowing of the brush through the whole character from beginning to end. So you can see that much clearly, much clearer here in these more cursive forms. So we have the uh, radiant moon, the pure wind, together one so um, the uh, this the meaning of this uh, depending on your sense of uh, radiant moon and pure wind <clears throat> and your sense of family um, what, what it what it's really trying to say uh, can uh, work within you and evolve. This this scroll hangs um, at the in the entryway to the zendo. Normally, so um, now when you come to the zendo in a in a month or three or four months, <clears throat> don't don't ignore this uh, scroll hanging there. <clears throat> Perhaps its meaning will have become um, a little clearer or more uh, problematic for you. <clears throat> um, I'd like you to uh, notice this this character for one. <clears throat> it's a um, pretty uh, straightforward character. <clears throat> And uh, we have another one. Can we show that? <clears throat> we we have another one uh, over here, which was um, written by the um, the abbot or the head the head priest of Nanzenji, one of the largest uh, Zen temples in Kyoto. <clears throat> and uh, this. When you look at this scroll, uh, if you look at the whole scroll, you can see that it's um, it's it's been treated very um, respectfully because it's written by the abbot. It, not necessarily that the that this number one is such an incredibly beautiful number one, but it's especially because it was written by the abbot of uh, Nanzenji. So the, um, the, the mounting includes this beautiful uh, th uh, brocade right at the top and bottom. And then there's a second brocade, which is um, very fine. And then uh, a, a plain um, external one. So um, just looking at the scroll, you, you already um, look at it perhaps more carefully because it, it's so beautifully mounted. <clears throat> but that's not all. <clears throat> this scroll comes in a <clears throat> in a box, <clears throat> beautiful wooden box. And uh, in, inside of it, it has um, uh, the name of, of the temple and the, and the um, Abbot and so on. Um, and this, when you roll it up, you, you have these papers here to uh, make sure that it rolls beautifully and doesn't uh, damage itself while it's sitting there rolled up. <clears throat> and then this uh, box comes, <clears throat> comes in another uh, very um, very beautifully uh, made uh, cardboard box with a label on it and so on. And then this cardboard box goes in this cardboard box. <clears throat> so you can see this is a very, very Im 
important, number one. <laughs> and um, this is sort of the uh, indicative in, um, of uh, Eastern culture. The, uh, the, the person who is highly revered or someone who is a teacher, <clears throat> um, it, it doesn't matter uh, always that much what, what they actually say, what, they're, what facts they are actually giving you, like the bright uh, moon and the uh, pure wind and so on. <clears throat> it doesn't matter so much um, what they are telling you, but what matters is uh, who they are in the sense of how they can share their life or their sense of being uh, with you. <clears throat> so you don't go to class or to the temple or something just to, um, just to learn stuff. <clears throat> you go there to, to be with uh, a presence or with, with somebody who uh, conveys something and it comes more or less by osmosis rather than by ideas. <clears throat> so same thing with this scroll of uh, number one. Um, what does number one mean? <clears throat> well, um, if you if you uh, were um, living at the temple with this um, abbot, um, you would you would begin to understand what number one how number one functions uh, for him in his life. Now, the uh, character number one is, um, is rather curious. I mean, it's, from our perspective, don't you think it's just, it's just lying down? <clears throat> if we're going to write number one in, in the West, we, we write it uh, something like this. <clears throat> and that certainly is not lying down. <clears throat> so um, here we have the West with number one. And um, then we have the east with uh, number one. <clears throat> so you can see why uh, East is east and west is west, and the twain shall never meet. It's just uh, remarkable. <clears throat> In the east, um, we could we could there is um, general a feeling about what one means in the in the east. Um, of course, it means uh, the first, it means uh, unity, <clears throat> the same, or uniform, or unite. It also refers to the primordial unity, the source of all things. <clears throat> and then it can um, refer to uh, heaven. You can um, you can take this uh, number one, and then it can become the top of the world, so to speak. If you put a person below the below number one, <clears throat> then you have uh, heaven. This is a character for heaven. 
And if you put number one um, at the bottom, it, it becomes, uh, suppose we have the sun, then we have uh, number one at the bottom, then it, it's like the horizon or the foundation of things. And uh, number one can also function like a kind of barrier <clears throat> in some, um, there's a very obvious uh, character, which, which is a character for a door or um, entrance, gate. <clears throat> And if you put the number one here, then it means the bolt or the barrier to for entrance. <clears throat> so the uh, the number one um, spreads uh, broadly and um, seems to encompass. Um, just by its, um, our number one in, in the uh, West is uh, very vertical, phallic, we can say, as well. <clears throat> and um, I, I don't know uh, where it comes from in the sense of what it, um, what it, why this particular form was chosen um, and then number two, what is uh, number two? Um, is there any sort of uh, meaning to the shape of number two and number three? <clears throat> so it's curious in a way to read that I've never learned anything about mental. Um, root or source. Um, number two uh, in, in Asia or in, in the Far East, um, if, you, if number one is, uh, can be my heaven, then um, number two becomes the earth. And then, of course, uh, we can have number three. So what do we have between heaven and earth? So this is... Uh, man or human, human, the human realm in, with number three. And then, uh, of course, in, in, in China, traditionally, you, you had to have some way of connecting all three of these uh, realms together. So that, that was indicated by this vertical stroke. <clears throat> that This represents the uh, king or the emperor, naturally. The one, the one being who can draw it all together. <clears throat> so um, this, this um, vitality that is in the, in these uh, strokes um, is uh, very much the uh, message that. Uh, we are being given by this kind of practice. <clears throat> but um, also, and one aspect of uh, Chinese characters in general is that um, they don't have strong uh, grammatical, um, they're not, they're not uh, 
thrown into one particular grammatical box. <clears throat> so basically, um, any any character can sort of be a verb if it if it isn't a verb, it isn't fixed as an an absolute noun that cannot move or cannot uh, express itself. So virtually everything uh, is a um, is a gerund, we could say, or at least has that potential. <clears throat> so even the moon, <clears throat> the moon or the house <clears throat> or the wind, <clears throat> the, the house is a housing, we could say, and you could make it into a, a verb or the wind, of course, and I don't know if there's really a, a, a verb for the moon that's used, but we, we do it um, in English as much as we, as, as um, interestingly, <clears throat> with the moon or, uh, or with house. Um, and I, I remember that was one of the first things um, that I um, appreciated from reading Alan Watts initially uh, when I was in college. Um, his book, The Way of Zen, had just come out, and um, and he and he mentioned that every every noun is really a gerund because everything is constantly changing. So a temple is templing, and a, a bottle is bottling, and so on and so on. It's endless. And it's very uh, helpful to uh, realize that. <clears throat> but it, it's, it's true that in English, we, we uh, tend to have things more fixated. And um, so when we are uh, uh, working with uh, Chinese characters, it's nice to realize that they have a little more fluidity <clears throat> in their in their sort of environment than <clears throat> than we have. Um, let's see. <clears throat> I've I've been appreciating. Um, David Hinton's relatively recent book called The China Root. <clears throat> and um, he, he's, uh, he's rather um, ruthless in um, not only criticizing other translators of Zen texts, but in, in just um, trying to um, uh, Establish the uh, perspective that um, that uh, Chan, as it Chan, as it um, arose in China after the inf in influx of Buddhism from India, there was a lot of interaction with Taoism, and he feels that um, the influence of Taoism in the Buddhism that came from India was really uh, profound <clears throat> and shifted a lot of the, the uh, meaning or the understanding and so on of uh, Buddhism uh, into the sort of Taoist um, view of things. <clears throat> but that's going to be a, a long um, area of discussion between various scholars as to the um, the way that Taoism has influenced um, Buddhism, producing Chan, which eventually became Zen. And uh, David Hinton feels there's been a lot of um, poor translation of Zen um, texts and so on into English because um, we, um, we Westerners like to have more metaphysical uh, meanings to our th to things like being and non-being. Uh, he he feels that that's an unfortunate term to be sort of dependent on, and uh, for being <coughs> the character for being, I, we can write that. <coughs> um, 
Um, it's a it's an interesting character. Originally, it uh, was a hand with uh, something um, in it, and then uh, ev then eventually it it came to be written um, this way, and it looks like the moon. But uh, again, this moon this moon form is, does not always mean the moon. Um, so this is something here. <clears throat> so anyway, this means to have or to be. Um, and um, for uh, David Hinton, he feels that it's uh, in, in the Chan or Zen context, he feels it's more useful to, to use the term present or presence rather than uh, being, because presence is more immediate uh, in, in our experience, whereas being can become something very, uh, quite remote and uh, abstract. <clears throat> and then um, instead of uh, non-being, <clears throat> he, he prefers, uh, you all know this uh, non-being is uh, mu, Um, and he, instead of uh, non-being, he, he uses the term absence. So presence and absence. <clears throat> Sounds a little like school, but anyway, it's uh, perhaps um, any sort of trick to uh, help, help our minds to uh, jump out of uh, the sort of place that's comfortable and... Um, but not very nourishing. It's it's helpful if you can have uh, something a little different. So, so um, David Hinton's uh, use of presence and absence um, may be um, of value to to some of you when you're um, when you're uh, dealing with all these uh, Buddhist or or even uh, Zen uh, terms. I think that's all, all that um, that uh, I should put upon you for, oh, no, it's not. <clears throat> I have something uh, even very weighty to put upon you, actually. <clears throat> it's um, the reason I want to read this is because it's a, an ancient uh, document <clears throat> from the fourth century of China at the time when uh, the first um, calligrapher, the first person who became, eventually became the great calligraphic sage of China. His name was Wang Shiju. And um, he, he, was, he has been highly regarded because he was extremely capable in, in the various forms of calligraphy, the more um, uh, formal and correct and and the more fluid, and then the very cursive. He could do all of them beautifully. <clears throat> and so uh, he, he lived after the collapse of the Han Dynasty. Um, the Han Dynasty was the first really successful dynasty in, in China. You had, before the Han, you had a short term of the Qin Dynasty where this, this ruthless emperor managed to unify all of China, partly because he was able to force everyone to use the exact same uh, writing system. So he's the one who established uh, the seal, what we now call seal script, as the um, uh, official way to write everything. So every character had to be written exactly the same way you couldn't have different versions of, of, of absence or different versions of king or any, any character. They always had to be written the correct way. And that way he was able to um, communicate with 
people of various different uh, dialects and even different languages. They could all learn the same characters and they all had their own meanings in their own language, their own words, uh, pronunciations in their own language, but the meaning would be the same. So the king could uh, send a message to, to someone far away and they could read it because they understood the meanings of the characters, even though they pronounced the characters differently. So, so this emperor was then able to unify the whole country and communicate um, through the language that way. So this is <clears throat> one of the reasons that uh, calligraphy ha has been such at such a central uh, position in Chinese culture. So after that emperor unified China, his, his own uh, dynasty collapsed and then the Han, the Han dynasty came in and then they uh, ruled for almost 400 years, <clears throat> more or less, in, to different degrees of success. And then the Han dynasty collapsed around the third or fourth century. And then, um, then there was a time of, um, of struggle among many different um, uh, kings and would-be emperors and so on. And then um, around the um, seventh century, finally, um, the uh, Tang dynasty came in and that became the, the great um, Tang dynasty, which, was, which has um, been of great uh, influence actually uh, in China ever since. So between the Han dynasty and the Tang dynasty is when uh, Wang Shizhu was living. And he, um, he was uh, a part of the aristocratic class, the educated class. <clears throat> and uh, he had, um, of course, um, many friends. And uh, at this time, um, his, uh, his life was fairly, um, uh, what would you say, uh, he, his, his, his personal life was not disrupted a great deal and was, he was able to focus on calligraphy um, for his whole life. <clears throat> and uh, one day when he was about 51 years old, he, he invited uh, many friends to gather together at a a place uh, which which is called the Orchid Pavilion. <clears throat> so this was out in the countryside, and all his friends came together, and they were they were all members of the in, um, intellectual class and poets and so on. <clears throat> there were uh, altogether, I think, forty-two poets. <clears throat> so here's the. Um, then af after um, after this gathering, uh, they had come together and they spent the whole day together out out in, in nature. And then after the gathering, then uh, Wang Shizhu uh, wrote um, a preface uh, for the collection of poems which everybody had uh, produced during the day. So you'll 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 find out how they were produced. <clears throat> so this is what he, he wrote as a kind of summary of the day. In the ninth year of the era of eternal peace, year of the younger water ox at the beginning of the late spring, we gathered at Orchid Pavilion to conduct a rite of purification. A group of intellectuals has assembled young and old, all are here. This land has lofty mountains, their jagged peaks rising above dense forests over groves of tall bamboo. Near us is a pure stream with roaring rapids, its waters reflecting both sides of its shores. We channeled its flow, creating a small meandering brook to float wine cups. The guests have gathered at both sides of the banks, seated in rows. Although there is no extravagance of music with lute or flute, one poet after another 
composing and reciting a poem when a wine cup stops in front of me, in front of one, is enough for us to share our deepest feelings. Today the sky is clear and the air feels pure. A blessing breeze gently blows. Looking up, we see the vastness of the universe. Looking down, we know the flourishing of all things. Thus we gaze outward, letting the mind float. We are filled with the complete pleasure of seeing and hearing. This is a day to truly enjoy. For indeed, in reflecting on life, people may embrace a multitude of ways, some speaking intimately with friends in closed rooms, others following their thoughts, wandering freely outside the body. However different their ways may be, some still, others active, they find joy in life's encounter, momentarily achieving the illusory contentment of self, forgetting old age's certain arrival. When we weary of our accomplishment in, in our, or our emotions are caught by transient matters, our feelings also change. <clears throat> what pleasure we once rejoiced in quickly becomes memory. Even so, we cannot help but be drawn back to being fully aware that our short lives are fleeting, and in the end, there is only death. A sage of old said, life and death are a matter of grave importance. How can this not bring anguish? Whenever we study the words of the ancients, what caused them to be moved, our feelings merge with theirs. We cannot encounter their writings without sorrow, finding them no comfort for our minds. We surely know that to regard life and death as one is vain deception, and to weigh a long-lived long life and one cut short as equal, that's simply false. When those in later times imagine us today, they may well see us as we now imagine the past. How sad! And yet, for that reason, we are recording the names and verses of the poets presented in this gathering Although circumstances vary greatly generation to generation, the feelings that arise in a human life can be similar. Those who read this in later years, may they be touched by these words. So here we have an amazing contemporary message <laughs> from the fourth century. <laughs> questions? If pe yeah, people have comments or questions, it's that's uh, fine. <laughs> Hi, Joe. Hey. I uh, I just want to say, uh, you know, there was a project, I don't know how many decades ago, to, to preserve the, the uh, heritage of humanity and send it into space. So should some extraterrestrial come upon that, know what humanity was all about. Uh -huh. And I sincerely feel that this Dharma talk would be something that would be very beneficial if it wasn't that archive. So I just want to thank you. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
I, I learned so much I'm still absorbing. Not, not learning, just being in your presence. <laughs> I wonder if you could say more about the uh, character for Mu, the last one. Um, you know, it's, it's such an important teaching koan. And, and I didn't quite get what all the strokes signified <clears throat> might be helpful. Thank you. So can we can can you show this again? <clears throat> um, it's kind of a a curious um, character. It, I've read two uh, explanations of of its um, original um, sort of form, <clears throat> and they're they're quite different. <clears throat> One explanation is that it's it's. The, uh, the character actually is quite similar to the character for dance. And so the explanation was that this is a, um, a person who is dancing and, and the um, something of the, uh, the ends of her, of, her, of her clothing are sort of whirling around. And um, and somehow that comes to mean uh, um, th this uh, mu or emptiness or something. So I'm sorry, I don't know pr too well why that um, dancing uh, figure would end up being um, nothing. The other explanation, which I read first, can, can they see this? I think so. Yeah, you can. Okay. The, the explanation I, I um, first came across was that it was um, it was showing uh, trees. And it, uh, it had elements in it of trees and of many, and um, and then a one central line which implied negation, and so the idea supposedly was that this whole forest with many uh, men it was cut down and so it was completely obliterated, became nothing. <clears throat> so that seems like a more um, uh, understandable explanation. <clears throat> um, so uh, that would also work for the, the sense of absence, to call it um, to, to see this, uh, you know, complete disappearance of the forest. <clears throat> so it's, um, um, and, and when you see this character written um, in more cursively, it has, um, it, it, it usually has uh, a few, a couple of lines on the top, then one long horizontal, and then uh, it sort of trails down to the end. So it, it's hard to read this as the same as um, this one, which is uh, move. But um, the, this is true of a lot of the uh, characters um, <clears throat> when they when they are written in their cursive form. They're Sometimes the cursive form is is a convention that everybody learns uh, when they are learning calligraphy, and so even though it's pretty illegible as far as the shape goes, everybody knows what it means. So that tends to be the case sometimes with Mu because that's a, a very well known character. Well, thank you. That really helped because I was trying to decipher it from, you know, this gateless gate. Um, I guess I'm going to have to pass the koan again. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, that's an endless. Well, um, it's it, it's more in relation to Chinese. If you look at, um, at Chinese writing, uh, all you have are these characters. 
if you look at Japanese writing, there's um, there are um, other inflective um, marks in in Japanese which which show that this is an object and this is a verb and so on and so forth. <clears throat> but with Chinese, all you have are these um, characters, and it the um, the placement of the characters is quite crucial because Chinese, something like English, they start with the subject usually, then they have the verb, and then they have the object. Um, and so by the placement in the sentence, you can kind of guess what the sentence, how the sentence is working. <clears throat> but um, these, all of these characters uh, can be, they're not just they're not just nouns or they're not just verbs. They can they can easily function like this. This one can mean purity or it can mean to purify. So in, in English or in Japanese, we would change the word a little bit in order to make it one or the other. <clears throat> but as it is, it, it can be um, either either um, an action or it can be a quality or a tense like um... yeah tense tense also is not very obvious in chinese so um so everything is more flexible which which is you know which we don't have with our grammar our grammar everything is quite fixed either as a noun or a verb so it's so shall we shall we finish thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center our dharma talks are offered free of charge and this is made possible by the donations we receive your support helps us to continue to offer the dharma for more information about Jokoji please visit us on the web at jikoji.org.